The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Well, friends, what a joy it is to be with you this morning. My name is Jeff Chang. Uh, I am a, a member of Warnall Road Baptist Church. Uh, I know some of you through my work at Midwestern also, where I serve on the faculty there. Uh, it's just a joy to be with you. Uh, I bring you greetings from Warnall Road Baptist Church. Even this morning, they will be praying for you in their pastoral prayer. Uh, we're just grateful for another kind of gospel-preaching, like-minded church kind of here in the Kansas City area. Uh, no one church alone can fulfill the Great Commission. We need many, many churches working together for the gospel, and we're grateful for our partnership in the gospel with you. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, as I said before, I am on the faculty at Midwestern, though, I've gotten to know Nathan uh, when I was a PhD student there, uh, and, and Nathan is a fellow Spurgeon scholar. I'm sure you guys have been hearing a lot of Spurgeon quotes in the sermons. Uh, I don't have any in this one, I think, I think, uh, but, uh, but you've been blessed because Spurgeon has a lot to offer us. Uh, anyways, so it's, I, I've heard so much about this church, uh, and again, I'm just grateful for the impact that you guys are having at Midwestern among the students there, so, so thank you. Well, it's a particular joy to get to open God's Word with you this morning uh, because we are going to be looking <clears throat> at literally the darkest time in history. Uh, because as dark and chaotic and threatening as our world is today, as, as troubled and discouraging as your life may be today, there, there was an even darker time, much darker uh, and yet, into that darkness, God brought his light, which means we have hope. We have hope no matter what we face. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, 1. We are going back to the very beginning, looking at the first day of creation. All right? Genesis 1, uh, verse 1. And I'll read this for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. So I think here in this passage, we get a glimpse not only of, of what God has done, but even of what he promises to do. So if you're taking notes, I've got kind of one summary sentence for this sermon, all right? Here it is, worship God maker of heaven and earth, who overcomes our darkness. All right, worship God, that's point one. Maker of heaven and earth, point two. Who overcomes our darkness, point three. And I pray that more than anything else, this morning we would know that God's light has come, that God's light pierces our darkness. All right, so number one, worship God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the story of the Bible, 
doesn't begin with darkness. It begins with God. In other words, this book is about God. God is the main character in this story. Uh, and, and in these opening words, we learn that God is greater than we could have ever imagined. That God is worthy of our worship. Here we learn about God's eternality. Uh, when did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, it says in the beginning. When was the beginning? Well, I don't know, but it was at the beginning. Uh, in other words, this universe has not always sort of simply existed. No, it had a beginning, right? Reality does not begin and end with this material world. No, this world is derivative. It is dependent on God. God is the source of all reality. He is the being behind the existence of this world. So that means even before the beginning, God existed because it was at the beginning that he created, which means that even time is part of his creation. When we talk about God being eternal, we don't just mean that God has always existed from eternity past to eternity future. No, I think Genesis 1 here is teaching us something even more profound, that God exists outside of time. God, God is not bound by time. God is eternal. No beginning, no end. God simply is. He is the one permanent being. You know, I think of our lives in contrast, how, how fickle we are. We, we are all about change. We, we are defined by time, right? I'm a different person now uh, in my 40s than I was when I was 10 or, or 20 or 30. You know, I'm, I'm constantly changing. I think about the world that we live in, right? I think of the 80s. And the 90s, and, and the fanny packs, right, which are making a comeback, I hear. Uh, and the 2000s, right, even 2010. I mean, how different the world is today than just 10 years ago. You know, we are bound by time. This world is defined by time. But God is eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amid all of our changings, God remains ever who he is, faithful righteous and good. Not only that, but here we see that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. God alone is able to create. The Hebrew word here for create is the word bara, which is a word that is ascribed to God alone. You know, human beings can, can build, they can assemble, we can fashion things, but God alone can bara, can, can create something, call something into being out of nothing. The, the vastness of the heavens, the solidity of this earth that we live in, all this comes from the infinite creating power of God. At one point, there was nothing. And then, in the beginning, God created. Which means that it all belongs to him. Right? God owns it all by creator's rights if anything can be rightly said to belong to us, it's only by God's gracious permission. It's like that sitcom where the daughter gets into trouble for fighting at school, and she says to her dad, I wouldn't be getting into these fights if we weren't so rich. And the dad responds, let's be clear here, we're not rich, I'm rich, you're poor. You know, and, 
In many ways, that's how we stand in relation to God. God is rich. He owns the universe. We get to use his stuff. Not only is God eternal and powerful, but we see here that God is utterly independent of the world that he has made. God is separate from his creation. This is what theologians call God's aseity. God is of himself. He is in no way dependent on creation. He is not stained by the imperfection of this world. He is not dependent on us for meaning or fulfillment or relationship. No, this is the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is overflowing with purpose and meaning and relationship. God does not need our justification. He does not need our praise. He doesn't need our approval. He is of himself totally and perfectly satisfied forever. If there's any relationship that will ever exist between God and his creation, it's that we need him. You know, we, on the other hand, we, we are all on life support, right? Even as you listen to this sermon, you need oxygen to survive. If this sermon grows long, you are going to start getting tired and sleepy and think about lunch. Um, and, and not only these sort of physical needs, but we need relationships. We need work to, and meaning and purpose and forgiveness and countless other sort of realities to survive in this world. You know, the next time you are tempted to grow proud, just remind yourself, you have to blow your nose in order to survive. Right? Every time you sneeze, every time you change your socks, every time you wake up with drool kind of coming down your chin, let that be a reminder that you, you're, not a, you're a creature. You're not God. You know, perhaps one way to summarize all this is just to say that God is perfect. God is perfect. He is the one perfect being. There is no one greater than him. As the ancients said, he is the good without which no other good exists. You know, I've tried to describe here what we see of God but friends, how can a worm explain to his fellow worms about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, right? How can I, a mere mortal, tell you something of the infinite being of God? You know, our problem is that we hear these ideas of, like, infinite and perfection, and we think, oh, okay, I understand. But, but no, friends, what... Whatever you have thought of God, it falls infinitely short of that reality. You've only rightly begun to know God if you are now just starting to realize how little you know of him. And yet, even so, the greatest possible ambition of a human being is to know God. As one preacher said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, that simple man who fears God knows far more about the universe than, than, than the rocket scientist, right, with all his advanced degrees, but who rejects the knowledge of God. God is the foundation of all knowledge. You know, all, all history and all science and all chemistry and all archaeology and, and all those things speak of and point to him. So, so this is the application, right? Not, not anything for us to go out and do, first and foremost, but first of all, for us to, to know that there is a God out there, 
who is far greater than we could have ever imagined, and to marvel, and to marvel. Friends, would you want to know this God? He is not just a bigger version of you. He is not like anyone you've ever known. Inevitably, his view of things will be different from yours. His purposes for this universe and for your life will be different from yours. He will not be anyone you can ever hope to manipulate or tame or control. And yet he is the one who created you. All of your longings, all of your questions, all that empty ache that you feel, all of that points to him. Again, as another theologian said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Friends, are you restless this morning? Because nothing in this world will satisfy you other than your maker. And this is our second point. Number two, worship God, maker of heaven and earth. In the beginning, God barras the vastness of outer space, the solidity of the world that we live in. And we think that, you know, often in the beginning, God created this perfect world. But that's actually not what we see here, right? Right away in verse 2, there's a problem. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Well, the earth when God created it, was first formless. It, 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 was, it was a chaotic, jumbled mess. Water, sky, and land all mixed together without form, without order, without structure. You know, people sometimes think of order and structure as being stifling for our freedom. But I bet none of you feel that when it comes to your Thanksgiving dinner. right? I, I bet none of you are planning next month on just pouring your turkey and green beans and pumpkin pie into a blender and drinking it like a smoothie. No, no, we need order. We need form in this world because without it, God's good gifts are lost. We see here that the world was empty, meaning there was nothing living in this world. It, it was an uninhabited world. You know, if you're an introvert, you're probably thinking, well, what's so bad about that? Well, yeah, that means that you weren't there either to enjoy all that peace and quiet, right? In fact, without life, there is no enjoyment. What good is existence and gifts and things if there's no one there to appreciate it and to live in it and to talk about it? You know, an empty world is a world without joy. And finally, we see here that the earth was covered in darkness. That Even if there was form, even if there was life, we wouldn't be able to see anything. Darkness hides, darkness conceals. Even if there was beauty and wisdom and power displayed in creation, darkness means that all of that is hidden and lost. Without light, without knowledge, there is no worship. And eventually there is no life. Life cannot exist without light. You know, even in the order of creation, God is teaching us something. God creates the world, it comes into existence, and yet, his design is that this world cannot exist without him. Even as his spirit broods and hovers over creation like a mother bird, now God will speak. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was morning one day. And so here in the first day of creation, God turns on the lights, and he does it with his voice. Let there be light. And reality bends to God's will, and there was light. And that light is good, and darkness is pushed back, and light is separated from darkness. And in the following verses, we see this amazing account of the days of creation. If you read on, you see that in the next two days, God establishes order in the creation, separating water from sky, land from sea. The formless earth is now given form by the powerful word of God. Then in the second three days of creation, God fills his creation so that it's no longer empty. He, he puts up the heavenly lights. He fills the sky and the sea with birds and fish, and he fills the land with animals. And then, as the crown of his creation, God creates man and woman in his image to rule in his place, to extend his glory over all the earth. In all these days, God solves the problem of formlessness and emptiness and darkness by ordering and filling and lighting up the world. But I want us to go back to that first day. Look, did you, God says, let there be light, and there was light. But did you notice that the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars don't come about until the fourth day? So where was this light coming from? You know, the skeptic says, oh, look, look at these primitive people were so, so uneducated, right? Of course, we modern people all know that light comes from the sun. Well, actually, I think primitive people did know that light came from the sun also. This, this isn't some primitive mistake in the order of creation. No, I think God here is teaching us something profound. When light first shone in this world, this was a light that flowed from God's very being by the power of his word. The darkness was not pushed back by some intermediary source. No, it was pushed back by the word of God himself. God's light enters into the dark world, creating this reality of light, and it's in that reality of light that God creates the sun and the moon and the stars and all other lights to reflect his light. But God is not dependent on any of those means. As the Apostle John reminds us, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. As James reminds us, God is the Father of lights who gives every good and perfect gift. In other words, the first day of creation teaches us that the infinite, perfect God is involved with his finite, imperfect world that he has made. He, he is not a God who creates and then leaves. No, he is a God who creates and then enters into this world by the light of his word. The light which reveals the truth about the universe, the light by which this world is ordered, the light that we need to live, that light comes from God himself. And apart from his light, there is no life. You know, if you're not a Christian here this morning, 
I wonder how you would explain the existence of this world. Because, you know, regardless of your worldview, everyone needs to grapple with this question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Right? Where did this world come from? Uh, again, every worldview needs to grapple with this question. And science tries to explain this world with theories like evolution and the Big Bang. But if you keep asking, well, where did that come from? Well, well where did that come from? If you keep pushing the existence of this world further and further back, you eventually arrive at a point where you just don't have any more explanations. I'm always amazed at how, you know, at some point, even the most committed scientists will sound just as sort of speculative as anyone. And it's not just about the bare existence of this world. It's about the fact that we believe that this world matters, that, that this life has beauty and meaning and purpose, and we care about things like justice and truth. You know, how do we explain that? Some, sometimes people argue that faith and science are enemies. But actually, faith is what makes science that much more valuable. You know, one Christian writer gives this illustration. He writes this, Imagine the scene. Betty the botanist is in the lab, and she says to Gareth, her lab technician, Thanks so much for that botanical specimen you brought in last week. I've run tests on it, and I've discovered new ecosystems on the leaves. I've even found pharmacological properties that will help us in the fight against Alzheimer's. Thank you so much. And Gareth says to Betty, Specimen? Betty? I gave it to you on February 14th, Valentine's Day. It was a long stem rose. Do you understand what I gave you? You know, in one sense, scientist Betty understands the rose, you know, far better than anyone ever has. But in another sense, she is totally ignorant of the meaning of that rose. Because there are cultural and romantic meanings going on in that rose that simply don't show up in the lab. You know, this is how many people see the world as, as valuable and intelligible, but lacking in any underlying meaning. You know, what if this world is a gift from someone who loves us? You know, of course it's appropriate for people to study this world, to learn as much about it as we possibly can, and many Christians do so. But if we're going to understand, if this world is going to matter at all, we have to realize that this world is more than just its scientific properties. It is, it is a gift to be received. And so even this week, take a walk outside, right? Look up at the sky, study the trees, breathe in the cold air, feel the sun on your face. What difference would it make for you to see this world not just as a specimen, but as a gift from a creator, from your maker? For my Christian brothers and sisters, as those made in God's image, we are here in this world to reflect something of our creator, to reflect his work. And, and this passage here is a good guide for us in that. Rather than just plodding through your day, you know, ask yourself, how does my work reflect my God? How does my work bring order to chaos, uh, increase knowledge and light where there is darkness? How does my work cultivate life? More than just doing a pile of laundry or teaching class or organizing your finances or making a meal or discipling a new believer. In all those things, 
we have an opportunity to see ourselves as following in our Creator's footsteps and bringing order and beauty and goodness into this world. See your work in light of God's work and do your work with faithfulness, no matter how small. You know, the first day of creation closes in a surprising way. You would think that God's light would totally banish the darkness, but then evening comes. In all the days of creation and every day since, evening always comes. Darkness always falls. And that has been the pattern ever since. Night always comes. But, but notice the pattern. Night and then day. Right? Evening, then morning. Darkness, then light. And I think once again, God is teaching us something. So point number three, worship God, maker of heaven and earth, whose light overcomes the darkness. And when God ordered this world, he saw it and it was very good. This world was full of God's goodness and beauty and love. And he placed man and woman in this world to display God's glory throughout the ends of the earth. But shockingly, the story of humanity takes a tragic turn. Our first parents rebelled against God, no longer content to be creatures. They wanted to be God. And so sin entered the world. And for that transgression into this world of beauty and order and life, God pronounced a curse. No longer is this world the way it should be. You want to reject God's word? Well, fine. Here's what happens in this world without my word. And so now chaos and formlessness and death constantly threaten, right? Hurricanes and floods and fires and pandemics and earthquakes. And this world is constantly threatened to empty with death. Even more than that, now our lives are marked by darkness. Like we are enslaved to sin. We are blind to the truth. We are cut off from the knowledge of God. Claiming to be wise, we've become fools and exchange the glory of the Creator for created things. As a result, our lives are marked by disorder. Our relationships are marked by conflict and selfishness and bitterness. Our appetites are out of control as we gorge ourselves and hate ourselves for it. Our minds, our emotions are a mess full of confusion and depression, self-hatred. Friends, this is why life in this world is so hard. We live in a broken-down world and broken-down bodies. Darkness reigns, and for every single one of us, the day will come when darkness will fall and death will claim all of us and our place will be emptied. Is this the end of the story? Will darkness prevail? No. No. Because the story of Christianity... The message of Christianity is that in the deep of night, 2,000 years ago, the Savior was born. Jesus Christ, our maker, the infinite God within frail humanity, the light of the world, he entered into our darkness. And his life was a brilliant display of God's glory into our selfishness, into our confusion, into our sinfulness. Jesus came and he lived a life of perfect obedience to God, of perfect love, for fellow man, by his truth, pushing back the lies, by his love, welcoming in 
the outcast by his power bringing order and life to the world. And yet the darkness raged against the light. Under the cover of darkness, Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends. He was condemned by the religious leaders. He was crucified by the authorities. And there on the cross, the light of the world bore upon himself our darkness, our sin, and the wrath of God in our place. Luke records, Luke 23, verse 44, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. Without this light, there is no light. And the light of the world was extinguished. Jesus died on the cross. His body was buried. Darkness. Oh, but friends, remember the pattern. Remember the pattern first evening and then morning. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, God began a new creation. And on that day, once again, he says, let there be light. And the light of the world burst forth from the tomb. Darkness did not overcome it. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead into everlasting life, never to die again. And the light of the world ascended to heaven in order to pour out his light on this world. And now to all of you who are living in darkness, Jesus Christ says to you, come, come out of the shadows. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are a rebel. But I am your Savior for all of you who will turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, God will forgive you of all of your sins and accept you into his kingdom of light. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means stepping out of the darkness into the light, turning away from your sins, trusting in Christ, trusting God for all that he has done for you in his son. If you're not a Christian, this is how you can be restored to your maker. The greatest gift that God gives to you is, is not in this world, but it's in himself, in the person of Jesus. He offers you a restored relationship with him. And it's by this light, which the darkness in your life can be dispelled forever. Even today, by faith in Christ, you can receive this gift. And if you have any questions about what that means, please come talk to me after the service. I would love to to chat with you about that. If you are a Christian, this is the story that you're living in, right? It's the story of the new creation. Just as light entered the world on the first day of creation, now light, the light of Christ, has entered our world on the day of his resurrection. And now, by the gospel, God is bringing light and order into our dark and disordered lives. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, our lives which are formerly marked by chaos and rebellion and darkness are now being transformed so that we submit to Christ's reign and we follow his word. Our hearts now love the things that we ought to love and we reject the things that we should hate. We are now learning to treat one another in purity and love and to speak the truth to one another 
in the gospel, we are being knit together into one family under Christ. And now the church carries that light into a dark and lost world. Friends, I don't know how hopeful you feel about yourself as an evangelist. You know, if I had to guess, most of you probably feel pretty inadequate. And you should, because none of us have the power to bring about the new creation. And yet in Christ, you are God's ambassadors. You are God's voice to a dark world. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So as God's ambassadors, look into that darkness of our lost friends, our lost loved ones, and speak, right? Speak the hope, the light of the gospel. Tell them of their sin and tell them of their Savior, right? Speak and plead and leave the rest up to God because it's through his word that almighty sovereign God creates life and light. Friends, if if God can speak light into the darkness, if he can create something out of nothing, then surely he can save your lost loved ones. Um, the, the image of salvation is not God drawing, kind of, kind of fanning a little spark out of the darkness and using that to create light. No, it's, it's God speaking light into utter darkness, which means that as long as there is breath, there is always hope. God can bring light no matter how dark. So brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. Pray for the lost. Pray for boldness. Pray for opportunities. And even more, speak God's word. Liberty Baptist here, in the dark days of 2020, God's light has dawned in the church. Carry that light into a dark world. Darkness will not overcome the light. No, but darkness creates an opportunity for that light to shine all the more brightly, all the more beautifully. Carry that light until the day Jesus, the light of the world, returns and the day dawns forever. The first day of creation was marked by a light that flowed from God himself and so will it be at the end. And I conclude by reading this, Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gate will never close by day, because it will never be night there. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of lamp or light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Light and in whom there is no darkness. Lord, you are the eternal one. You are the infinite, all-powerful one. You are our maker. And Lord, though we turned away from you and rebelled, Lord, you have sent your son into this world, the light of the world. and You have spoken your light into our darkness. Oh, Lord, we confess 
that you are not only our maker, but you are our savior. And so, Lord, now we once again renew our commitment to you where we confess anew that you are our Lord. Lord, help us even this week to reflect your light in this world, in the work that we do, in the words that we speak. Lord, we pray that your light would shine through us to all those around us, that, that Christ would be known in this dark world. Oh, Lord, make us faithful. Be gracious to us. We thank you for your love. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.